All right. Happy Labor Day weekend. Thank you for all of your labor. <laughs> and uh, whether it's Labor Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend, or any other holiday weekend, God is good. Amen? God is good. Well, we are going to be in a, um, just a very short sermon series for the month of September um, called Worship at the Well. We're going to be looking at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well uh, in John chapter 4. And we're just going to take four weeks and just really go a little bit deeper into what does it mean to really worship God? What does that mean? And I'm not talking about music, but also, but obviously worship is a big, or music is a big part of our act of worship, but, uh, but we're going to look a little bit deeper at what Jesus was getting at when he was talking to the Samaritan woman about worship. Now, it's interesting, you know, Jesus, we're going to read the text together here in just a minute, but I want you to get a little bit of a glimpse of what was happening here. Jesus is on his way back to Galilee, and he uh, takes his disciples on an alternative route not the way that they would normally go. And uh, he stops at Jacob's well, which is a significant well in Old Testament history. Stops there, and he sends his disciples away, and uh, he's just sitting there by himself, and a woman comes along, a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day comes along, which is highly unusual for that to happen, for her to come alone at that time of the day. And Jesus engages her in a conversation, and he chooses to direct the conversation to the area of worship, and uh, true worship, like pure worship. And I, I've been meditating on this here for the past couple of weeks, and I'm like, of all of the ways that he could engage her in a conversation, why did he choose to engage her in that way? And I, I was thinking about myself, like if I was there, uh, and I was having this conversation with Jesus, it's like so many times in the busyness of our life, we have to be reminded of why we exist. Like here she is doing her normal daily routine of going to the well. She was probably just thinking about what she needed to do that afternoon. She needed to maybe thinking about a party she's planning for the next weekend. Whatever she's got in her mind, she's thinking about it. The busyness of life, as, as with all of us, it, it constantly consumes us with work and with play and with family and with our, our own things that we're dealing with on the inside. And Jesus chooses to encounter her in a conversation, bringing her back to why all of us exist. We exist to worship Jesus. That's who we are called to be. We are called to be worshipers of the one true God. And so here he engages her in a conversation to bring her back to the reality that she is created to worship. Now, today, each of you chose to get into your car, or maybe you walked to church, but you came to a house of worship. In, in America, we call churches houses of worship, don't we? We say this, a church is a house of worship. If you type in the word church in uh, the dictionary, it will say a, a place of worship, a house of worship. So every one of us chose to come to a place at 10 o'clock in the morning so that we could worship. Well, what does that mean? 
What is the fullness of the meaning of worship? There's never been a time in human history where man has not worshipped someone or something. There's never been a time. Now, they may be worshiping the wrong thing, but your heart is created to worship something. And so there's never been a time in human history where worship has not happened. The question has been, has worship been pure? Has it been true? And has it been directed at the right God? Jesus designates that worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth are what he's looking for. So let's look at this scripture together. We're just going to read um, half of the passage, and then as we go through the rest of the month, we'll get a little bit deeper in. John chapter 4, we're going to read um, uh, verses 1 through 21. Jesus knew the Pharisees uh, had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied to her, If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides... Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it is at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
So when Jesus is talking to this woman, he's actually referencing a story from 2 Kings chapter 17. In 2 Kings chapter 17, the prophet comes and he tries to teach the people living in Samaria to worship one God, to worship Jehovah, and they keep rejecting him, and they keep saying, no, we want to worship Yahweh, but we want to worship all of these gods too. And the prophet keeps saying to them, no, you need to worship just one God. And they say, but we like having all of the gods that we worship. And so that's why when the woman at the well says, you worship in Jerusalem, we worship in Mount Gerizim, it's because they were worshiping according to the way they wanted to. They didn't want to worship on God's terms. They wanted to worship God on their terms. So when Jesus says to the disciple, to, to, to the, the Samaritan woman, those who worship me will worship in spirit and in truth. He's separating out the Samaritan Jewish thing, and he's saying, no, I'm looking for people who will lay aside the religious and pursue the relationship. I'm looking for people who will lay aside the rules and the regulations. I'm looking for people who will lay aside their personal preferences. I'm looking for people who will lay aside the things that they want to do on their terms in order to worship me on my terms. Jesus highlights two requirements in worshiping or seeking God, spirit and truth. We're going to break that down together a little bit more. You see, it's not according to our paradigm of God, our traditions. It's not according to what we like and what we don't like. It has everything to do with what God Almighty desires from his people. So let's look at this whole understanding of worship in spirit. Worship in spirit includes worship flowing from a sincere heart. Worship flowing from a sincere heart by the aid of the Holy Spirit that God has given to you. God in his kindness gave you the Holy Spirit to direct your heart to worship him. You see, worshiping in spirit and truth is centered on God, not on us. What worship in truth is not, what worship in spirit is not, it is not an obligation. In 2018, the Pew Research uh, Center did a study, and they found that 16% of those who responded to their poll about attending church said that they would only go to church to please their spouse or to please their children. That's an obligation, right? Worship is not an obligation. Worship is a motive of the heart aided by the Holy Spirit centered on God. It's not a cultural expression for many people in our, in our nation. It's not a patriotic expression. Going to church is not a patriotic expression, and it's not a cultural expression. It is a sincere heart aided by the Holy Spirit, filled with thankfulness, centered on God, worship. It's not worship from a place of fear. Now, for me, as a child growing up, that was what I knew. I knew worship from a place of fear. I grew up as a Catholic, and I'm not, many Catholics know Jesus, 
But what I knew was that I, there was a God that I needed to be afraid of. And I needed to stand back, and I needed to recognize that there's a God that has all authority and all power, but I did not know I could have a relationship with this God. And so worship that is in spirit is not a worship from a place of fear. Throughout all of human history, there's been people who have worshipped gods from a place of fear. A lot of Greek mythology and the gods that were worshipped, uh, you know, even in uh, the Middle Ages and medieval times as well, those, those were all based out of fear. Many people still worship God out of fear. We are commanded to fear God, but not a paralyzing fear. I love the words out of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He says, fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Well, the word that's used there in the original language is the word yare, which means to stand in awe, to inspire reverence. So we worship God in fear and in trembling, but in a place of awe and reverence, not in a place of cowering back. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is not worship from a place of fear. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is not worship as a religious activity. If you were to go to any town public square, any big city public square, and you were to interview different people about whether or not they're going to go to heaven, I've done it many times, and I guarantee you they say, yeah, I've been a good person. Unfortunately, good person does not get you to heaven. And unfortunately, good person, being a good person as a religious activity is good and it's valuable and it's important, but it's not worship in spirit. A couple years ago, actually it's probably more like maybe eight or ten years ago, a, a man by the name of Jefferson Bethke wrote a book called Jesus is Greater Than Religion. He was a young adult at the time. He was uh, trying to reconcile his faith versus what he was experiencing in the church. And he was trying to reconcile all of these things. And, and he finally got to the point of saying, you know, I love Jesus. I love everything about Jesus. But there are so many things that I struggle with that happen in the church. And so he, uh, he, he said this quote in the book that I thought was so, so cool. He says, when I say I hate religion, I'm not saying I hate the church. I'm not saying I hate commandments or traditions. I'm not even saying I, I hate the law of God. I'm not saying I hate organizations. I'm not saying I hate institutions. What I am saying is that I hate any system that upholds moral effort or good behavior as a way in which we worship God. What he's saying is this, is that so many people think that their worship that is pure and worshiping in spirit is because they, they were really good that day. They behaved well. They didn't get in trouble. They didn't break the law. That is good. But it's not worship. Those are important. Are they important aspects of our life and our testimony as believers? Absolutely. But it's not worship. To worship in spirit, it must originate from within, not conforming to something on the outside that looks the part. Worshiping in spirit is a heart that is motivated by love 
and filled with gratitude for everything that God has done, is doing, and will do in our life. That's worship in spirit. I remember when I got into college, and uh, I took a psychology course, and uh, my, my professor in college, it was the community college, it was called Lorain County Community College, but we nicknamed it Abbey Road Tech because it was uh, just uh, on Abbey Road and it didn't really have good ratings as a school, but it was the only school I could afford to go to. And so I'm at um, Abbey Road Tech psychology class. The very first uh, class, the very first class of my very first semester, um, as I had just graduated from a Christian high school, I was, uh, uh, you know, kind of naive in so many ways of so many things. And the professor gets up and he says, if you are a Christian in this course, do not try and share your opinion about why I'm going to teach you about the human psyche. And he said, if you do, I will ridicule you in front of all of your classmates. I was like, well, I am not at the King's Academy anymore. <laughs> but I was kind of a young punk and so I decided I was going to challenge this professor every time he said something in class until I, until I started getting C's and D's on my paper and I changed my strategy a little bit so that I could graduate the class. But you know, so many times, just like in psychology, they talk about the outward conforming versus the inward transformation. You know, all the studies they do about how we learn a pattern of behavior and we, we replicate that pattern of behavior in order to fit in and to conform to society. But there's no change at the heart level. To worship in spirit means that God has changed your heart or is changing your heart. And because you are grateful and because you are thankful, and because you are changed, you choose to worship him in spirit. And you know the beautiful thing about it? Is God gives us the Holy Spirit to do the work within us. All we have to do is agree with him. Worship in spirit. Worship in truth. Jesus said the true worshipers will worship in spirit. In other words, they're worshiping from a heart that's been changed and transformed. And they will worship in truth. This includes worship that is according to who God is. He is God Almighty, King of kings and Lord of lords, bridegroom God. He is coming again for his church. He rules and he reigns above all things. But he's also a tender father. He's also a father who loves his children and lavishes that love upon him. To worship according to the truth of who God is. You know, Jesus said to the woman, you worship what you do not know. Are you worshiping a God you don't know? Are we worshiping a God we don't know? There's worship in truth, and there's worship in ignorance. Where are we on the spectrum? How well do we know God? How well do we know him? You see, Jesus spoke to the woman in Samaria 
about what she believes about God. They talked about worship in Gerizim or in Jerusalem. They talked about, you know, whether or not she, he should even be talking to her. Because culture says that a man shouldn't be talking to a woman, a Jew shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan. So Jesus not only was talking to her about what she believes about God, he was talking to her what she believes about herself. Culture will put all kinds of labels on you. Society will put labels on you. Maybe your family has put labels on you. Maybe your workplace has put a label on you. Do you worship God out of that place? Or do you worship God out of the place of what he says about you? He says to you, you're accepted in the beloved. You're my child. You're my bride. You're forgiven. If you were the only one, I would have given my life for you. Jesus spoke to this woman. And he says, do you really believe me to be the Savior of the world? To be the one to whom you've been looking for? And do you really believe what they say about you? There's a reason that woman was at the well at noon. Nobody went to the well at noon. It's hot. She's alone. Why is she there alone? In the custom of those days, they would go early in the morning to beat the heat, and they would travel together to the well. But this woman is walking that road alone in the heat of the day, and she encounters Jesus. Well, I think it has something to do with her five marriages and the man she's living with now. I think she's living, she's, she's been labeled, I think she's been ostracized, I think she's been uh, uh, persecuted, and so here she is alone. And Jesus says to her, do you believe what they say about you, or do you believe what I say about you? Do you believe what, for generations, they've taught you about how to worship God with all of these false idols and going to Mount Gerizim and doing all this stuff? Or do you believe me when I say a time is coming when it doesn't matter if you worship in Jerusalem or you worship in Mount Gerizim, but anybody who worships will worship in spirit and in truth? In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, a very young church, young in their faith, and he's writing to them about how they can grow in their faith. And he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. He's praying for them. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you would grow in the knowledge of God. Here's this young church, brand new church. First believers in this whole region of the world for the very first time. And he says to them, my prayer for you, isn't that you would know that you're supposed to go to church at 10 o'clock on Sunday and you're supposed to be a good person and you're supposed to be you know, happy that you didn't break the law? You're supposed to be you know, somebody who... Uh, you know, does all of the right things and looks the right part. He says, no, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. I want you to worship in truth. I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. 
his holy people, which are as rich in his glorious inheritance. There's our identity. Oh, I'm the inheritance of the Father. I'm no longer rejected. I'm no longer broken. I am the inheritance of the Father. I also pray that you will understand, listen to this, the incredible greatness of God's power. When we worship in truth, we worship with the knowledge that God has incredible greatness for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. For God has put all things under the authority of Jesus, and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. When you worship in truth, this is the God he wants you to know. This is the God he wants you to worship. So why do we worship? He has immeasurable, immeasurable great power for us, and he flows through us to the world. Why do we worship? Because he is exalted to the highest place of honor and supreme authority. The highest place. Why do we worship? Because he is head over all things. And his name is above every other name. Why do we worship? Because he's worthy. We just sang that. He's worthy of it all. His worth and majestic beauty demand an expression. In Luke chapter 19... Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem just a few days before his crucifixion. We would celebrate this as Palm Sunday. Jesus is coming in on the donkey. They're shouting his praises and his blessings. And it says in Luke chapter 19, verses 37 to 40, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along. They were praising the Lord. They were worshiping, right? They were praising God for all of the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he said, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into praise. God will be worshipped. He will be praised. He has created all of creation. Everything that he has created is to, to return praise and worship unto himself. The question is, why are we worshiping? How are you worshiping? Are you worshiping him in spirit and in truth? Are you worshiping him from a place of gratitude? Are you worshiping him from a place of God, you touched my heart. You saved my soul. You healed my body. Some of you have experienced 
the power of healing in your physical body. Some of you have been set free from addictions. Some of you have been healed of great brokenness in your life and in your relationships. And those are all reasons why we worship in spirit. But we worship him in truth because of who he is. Here's the thing. The Samaritan woman had an unexpected encounter with Jesus. Never in the story did Jesus demand that he worship, that she worship him. He never demanded it. He just said to her, listen, there's a time coming when people will worship me in spirit and in truth. The question is, will you worship him in spirit and in truth? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here and just uh, come on up here now, but Jesus invites us into this same lifestyle of worship. He invites you to move beyond just the religious duty. He invites you to move beyond just worshiping him from afar. He invites you to move beyond maybe worshiping out of fear. He invites you to move beyond worshiping a God you don't know. He invites you to walk in the knowledge of him. Paul prayed for the early church that we would grow in our knowledge of Jesus. He invites you to be in a place of worshiping him in spirit and in truth. The woman at the well had a decision to make, and she chose to believe, and she chose to worship. She went back to the town where she was from. She told everybody about this man that she encountered at the well, and many, many came and worshipped as well. How will we respond to the invitation to worship in spirit and in truth? Let's all stand up together. God, we don't want to be a people who worship out of obligation, a place of fear, religious activity. We don't want to be a people, God, who worship a God we don't know. We want to worship a God we do know. We don't want to worship in ignorance. We want to worship in truth. So, Father, I pray, God, that as we spend the next four weeks together looking at this amazing story of this encounter at the well, Lord, that you would flood our hearts with light so that we can understand with confident hope. Lord, that you would allow us to understand the incredible greatness of your power, that we would see you high above every ruler and authority, not only in this world, but in the world to come. And that we would know you as a God who fills all things everywhere with himself. That includes my car, that includes my home, that includes my mind, that includes my heart, that includes my soul, that includes my workplace. You fill all things everywhere with yourself. You are the one true God. Pure worship must be tethered to the revealed truth of who God is and what he says about himself. May we worship you on your terms, Jesus. 
May we worship you on your terms with our life and with our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just sing our gratitude to the Lord as we close.